Tapping the Keg Daily is live for Wednesday. It is December 20th. We're talking Joe Barry, Matt LaFleur. We're also talking Marquette. We're talking the Milwaukee Bucks. And that will be the pod. And we're going to try to do it quick. Your boy is running behind. Uh, not great. Uh, which I apologize to you guys. Uh, this should have been a nice long show. Uh, and, and yeah, just a uh, mismanagement of time. So I'm not going to spend too much time uh, explaining that. Just tell you guys, social media, tapping the keg on Twitter, tapping the keg sports, Instagram, as well as TikTok. And then for the podcast, uh, make sure you're subscribed on Apple or Spotify. Thank you for all your support. Make sure you're spreading the good word uh, during this holiday season. We'd really appreciate it. Uh, shout out to those who listen because the Packers, Marquette, or the Bucks, or even the Brewers, who we're not talking about today. We'll talk about them tomorrow uh, with Mitch. But uh, we appreciate all your support throughout the year. Uh, and I guess this is our virtual holiday card. All right, let's start. Let's get into it. Let's just absolutely go. Uh, so again, be a shorter show uh, today, given my time. I don't have a ton of it. Uh, but I, I, I wanted to talk about Matt LaFleur and Joe Barry before I got going with Marquette and the Bucks and what happened yesterday uh, in both those games. Uh, but with Matt LaFleur and Joe Barry, it, it's, it's a problem right now. Uh, Joe Barry not fired. Matt LaFleur decides to keep him. Uh, Matt LaFleur obviously believes that there isn't a better option than Joe Barry, which is a fundamental problem within the Green Bay Packer organization. Uh, Matt LaFleur is costing himself uh, goodwill with the fans, but also I think question marks from the front office about you know loyalty. And while it's great, you know this is a hard dick business. This is not a business where, hey, you, you you have feelings. Like it's, yes, it's the week before Christmas. No one would want to get fired the week before Christmas. That is like like movie shit, right? That's like Clark Griswold getting the jelly of the month from his organization. Like that. that's the type of like gross shit that we talk about in movies that are the villains. Like on any of your shitty Hallmark movies that your mom and dad watch or you watch. Like no, no, no judgment, but let's be honest. Like all our Hallmark movies are the same. I look at it and it's like, okay, dude, like this is not, it's not this type of business, right? We're not running a corporation. We're not running a nonprofit. We're, it's the Green Bay Packers. It's a NFL team. And if you are not meeting the standard, then you should be fired. And I understand that there aren't maybe the defensive guys who have had experience, right? Uh, you saw the Philadelphia Eagles, whether it was a good thing or a bad thing, you know, move Matt Patricia as the defensive coordinator because they had a guy like Matt Patricia there. None of the guys that are right now on the Packers defensive coaching staff have coached defense in the NFL before. That said, Eddie Faulkner, who is right now the OC for the Pittsburgh Steelers, has never coached an offense before. And so this happens in the NFL all the time. And I, th- I think there's a guy, I think JoJo Wooten, who's coaching the defense for the uh, Los Angeles Chargers starting this week with Brandon Staley's departure. Like this happens in the NFL all the time. You throw guys into the fire. And Matt LaFleur not wanting to get rid of his guy is causing a dissension in the fan base. It's causing potentially a dissension in the locker room. You had Devondre Campbell with a pretty like just aggressive tweet, I guess the best way to say it, about, you know, dealing with injuries, playing with injuries, and basically it meaning absolutely nothing. I think these guys on the defense are frustrated that they're getting blamed when it's really the scheme and they're doing what's being told. 
And now you also have Matt LaFleur basically spending more time with the defense, less time with Jordan Love and this young offense. And so that is going to probably affect it. Like there's no way that this will not affect the Packers in their game against Carolina. Like it, it is a real problem. And Matt LaFleur has really done nothing to make you feel better. And I like Matt LaFleur. I am one of those people that even when things got rough in October, I said, look, I think he's going to get another year. And I, I still believe that. I, I still do, even with this Joe Barry nonsense. But the Packers have to get a long look in the mirror. The Vic Fangio defenses, if you go through it, and I don't have it because, again, we're limited on time for a variety of reasons. They have not done well besides really the Dolphins. Like all those teams in terms of DVOA are near the bottom of the league. The league has figured out the Vic Fangio defense. And then you compound that with the fact that Brian Flores, who you could have hired last year, is kind of on another level. I realize the fourth quarter against the Cincinnati Bengals is not exactly what you want. And credit to Zach Taylor for kind of figuring out how to beat Brian Flores' defense. And if I was Matt LaFleur in two weeks, I'd be grinding the shit out of that tape and seeing what the Bengals did and try to apply it to the Green Bay Packers. Because if Jake Browning can do it, I think the Packers can do it. Uh, And without Jamar Chase, mind you, right? It was just T. Higgins. Uh, So then on top of that, like uh, Elijah, Evro, I always pronounce it, it's Elijah. I think it's Elijah, pardon me for uh, mispronouncing that. He's, he was interviewed twice. He was twice a finalist for Green Bay Packers, and Green Bay Packers didn't hire him. He is carrying this Carolina defense to actually be good. Like, Carolina defensively is not that bad. Their offense is absolute trash, but Evro's doing a great job in terms of what he's doing defensively. And any guy that takes that job would be an idiot to let Evro out of that locker room. And I think you keep Evro and keep the continuity. But more times than not, when you hire a guy, he's going to want to bring in his own dudes. So Evro might be readily available. And you can't really fuck this up because, again, he is part of that Fangio system, but he's doing it a little bit differently. If you end up going with Brandon Staley, and I know Staley was a quote-unquote mad genius, and maybe him as a coordinator, and he's just one of those guys who's a better coordinator than he is a coach. We've seen this time and again in the NFL. Look at Dan Quinn, right? Dan Quinn has been a fantastic defensive coordinator for the Dallas Cowboys. He was not a good coach. I wouldn't say he wasn't a good coach because he was successful, but he had some he had some issues, right? Like he wasn't perfect as a coach. And he had maybe some of the similar things as Staley. So could Staley be the next Dan Quinn? I think that's what you'd sell yourself on if you were a Green Bay Packer fan and they brought in Staley. But Staley runs a similar system to Joe Barry. So how how is that going to be different? If Robert Sala gets fired, which I actually think they're setting up for, uh, by the way, with Aaron Rodgers telling McAfee, oh, I'm going to play a couple years. Uh, This won't be my last year. That's Aaron Rodgers saying, I want influence on who you're going to hire as head coach. That is, that's what that is coded. Every Aaron Rodgers comment, as we know, has a message in it. And that is exactly what Aaron Rodgers is saying. So if Robert Sala gets fired, that opens up a door because Matt LaFleur and Robert Sala have a very good relationship. They're quote unquote best friends. 
Now, I think there was a little bit of tumultuous stuff with the Rodgers things, but and even the Niners stuff, because the Niners tried to trade for him. But I think that was more him and Shanahan had the falling out. I, I assume that they're still buddies. And yes, he did fire his brother, though. So I don't, I don't know. Again, like, I have no idea. Matt LaFleur seems to be a very loyal guy. But will Matt LaFleur hire Robert Sala if he's available? And Robert Sala was an excellent defensive coordinator. Now, as Shannon pointed out last week, and he was great, Chaykin, I mean, Chaykin, what an appearance. Like, he, I've quoted him now. This is the second straight, third, second straight solo pod that I've quoted him. Shaken point out, like, are you sure he's not going to get a head coaching job? And he's right. Like, I think there could be teams that say, well, we have a quarterback in place. And I, I'm trying to think who would that team be that might fire. But maybe San, maybe Washington. But, like, they're like, but that would be similar to Ron Rivera. I'm trying to think who might, like, be interested that has a quarterback that would fire their coach. Not Atlanta. Like, I'm trying to put it together. I, I'll have to get back to you guys. I have to really sort of think hard about it. But I, I think that there could be somebody that would sell themselves on Salah as long as they have a good quarterback. I think as long as their quarterback structure is tight, Salah would likely succeed. And I think on top of that, Salah would have still been there if Rodgers played the entire year. I think the Jets are probably a 500 team. They're right around the playoffs. Aaron Rodgers... I think still has it in him, you know, pre-Achilles. I don't know post-Achilles, but pre-Achilles, I felt like he, you know, he had what it took plus that defense. I think it would have been a different year for the New York Jets. And I know Jets fans are going to sell themselves on that. So, but again, it goes back to that loyalty factor of like, would LaFleur even fire, would he, what if his best friend doesn't do well? Like, what does that say? And is LaFleur on the hot seat? I actually don't like, here's the crazy thing. I think LaFleur has done a great job to get himself off the hot seat this year because this offense has been great. Like, there are some great numbers around Jordan Love, okay? And Jordan Love's doing it without probably, a th- no receiver has been over 100 yards this year. I don't, think, I don't know if they've had a running back over 100 yards this year. And the Packers' offense is still humming. That speaks to Jordan Love. And all of the young talent that they have around them says like next year they should be a rocket ship. Like the Packers should be in the contender conversation. Now, can they make some small moves to make themselves better? Absolutely. And the defensive coordinator should be one of them. They should be playing complimentary football with what Jordan Love wants to do. And it's not lost on me. Granted, I think the timeline's a little sped up to Rodgers that they had Bob Sanders as the defensive coordinator in 2008. Bob Sanders got fired. That defense was absolutely horrific. Then you bring in Dom Capers. The Packers defense, I can't remember had they improved, but then they had their best year of the year two. And usually it takes defensive coordinators a little bit of time. Like look at Flores. Like the Vikings were a mess the first six weeks of the season. And I was like, oh man, maybe, you know, maybe it's the Vikings, maybe it's not Flores. And then sure enough, he figured it out right around the Packers, which was convenient. Uh, And I I think it's worth pointing out like, all right, we, you know, you got to give this guy time, whoever it, it ends up being. But I think what's really important here is just understanding that we're at a crossroads with Matt LaFleur and he hasn't, he got himself off the hot seat because the offense has looked good and the promise of next year is extremely strong. But Matt, Matt LaFleur's loyalty and decision-making, it leaves a lot of questions. 
So I think it's a crossroads in terms of, you know, Matt LaFleur is not necessarily putting the team forward. He's putting Matt LaFleur forward. And if Joe Barry's a father figure and he can't handle firing his dad, then like dad-like figure in the NFL, then let fucking Gunacus do it. Then let Mark Murphy do it. If you can't do it, if you're not man enough to do it, which like, and I'm not trying to challenge his manhood. Like I kind of get it because I am a person, I'm very loyal to my friends. I hope my friends who listen feel that way. I couldn't imagine firing one of y'all. I, I really couldn't, okay? And so I, I, I do empathize with that, with Matt LaFleur. But again, it's a hard dick business. It's the NFL. You, you have to do those things sometimes. And Matt LaFleur not doing it raises eyebrows in a season where we should actually be praising Matt LaFleur. We're asking ourselves more questions. All right, let's move on to Marquette. I can't tell you that that is any better uh, right now. Uh, the Golden Eagles lose to Providence uh, 72 to 57. Uh, it was a very ugly game for Marquette. Uh, really got out of hand in the second half. Uh, Marquette at, at one point, I think was down as much as 17 in this basketball game. Uh, they did try to battle back a little bit, uh, but it was not, not a great game uh, for the Golden Eagles in general. Yeah, they were down 19 at one point, Jeez. It, it was ugly, uh, to say the least. Offensively, Marquette could not shoot to save their soul. Uh, defensively, Marquette allowed way too many easy buckets. Uh, they fouled guys on three-pointers. They were just uncharacteristic basketball on both sides of the court. Uh, and it was really a gross game from Marquette. And yet again, on the road, they have struggled. And this has now become a thing. Uh, and we talked all offseason and got ready for the year and said, Marquette has to learn how to be the haunted. They have to learn how to play with the target on their back. Instead of being this like sneaky team where it's like, oh, Marquette, chip on their shoulder, Tyler Kolek, fuck them. It's like, no, no, no. We know what you are. We know what you have on this basketball court. And Marquette has not dealt with that on the road. In three hostile environments, they're one and two. Uh, they have not shot well at all three, which we'll get to uh, in the grade segment. They have to figure out how they can establish themselves on the road and how to deal with teams that are playing with a little more juice, right? Providence will play differently against Marquette than they will against George. Well, not George, I'm a bad example because I had a coolie. But uh, against Butler, right? Let's just say that. Butler's not bad this year, but they're still going to play differently than what they play with against Marquette or UConn for that matter. And they have to learn how to handle the pressure. They have to learn how to handle those environments. And they have not yet completed that task. And that's concerning. That Even though they do play four out of six at home to start the Big E season, and looking now at that after the, this game, it's kind of a godsend. It's really important now for Marquette because they're not going to start, they shouldn't start slow with the way they've played at home but they have really struggled on the road and they have to figure out how do we remedy that? What do we do? Is it easy buckets? Is it getting to the basket? Is it less threes? Is it just attacking the paint as much as we can? You know, I think there is a lot of sort of fact finding and I don't even wanna say soul searching because that, that's a little intense, but it's like they have to readjust what they're doing on the road because it is not working 
at this point. And so I, I think they'll get there. I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm panicking. I don't, you know, we always love to talk about the panic button, right? Like if you listen to the pod, panic buttons come up a lot. Like we're not, I'm not panicking. I'm not ready to be like, all right, yeah, this team is overrated or this team is not what we thought they were. I'm not there yet, all right? If you are, I, I maybe get it, but I, I think it's like, it's still early, right? Like it, this is the first Big East game. You grow up in the Big East Conference. You're going to be a different team, you know, as you know, January, late January, early February rolls around. At least that's what you hope, right? I don't expect it to be this massive disappointment and Marquette's a seven or an eight seed or something like that. And just completely the bottom falls out and they can't win on the road and they just, you know, really squander what should be a special season. I don't think that's what Marquette is. I watched them against teams like Texas, Notre Dame, uh, and even in the Maui, right? Kansas and uh, even Purdue, like they didn't play great in that game, but they battled all game long and gave Purdue one of their best efforts of the year. And Purdue, I, I would argue Marquette has looked better against Purdue than Arizona did, than, Purdue, than against uh, Alabama. Yeah, Alabama looked all right against Purdue, but Purdue was able to pull away at the end. Like, I, I think that that Marquette team, you know, we need to find that version. And there's a lot of reasons. And I think you go back to some of the stuff that was working, not working in those games and really take it head on. And your next road test is Seton Hall in two weeks. You got a lot of time at home. You have a big game against Creighton. You also have Georgetown. You can't look past Georgetown, even though Georgetown's not a very good basketball team right now. And they'll be better once Ed Cooley sort of gets his claws in there. But you now, you, that'll be the next road test. And it'll be a Saturday. I don't know what time the game is, but it'll be a Saturday, likely hostile environment. And you'll have, you know, they'll want a, they'll want a big win. Especially if Seton Hall is able to beat UConn tonight. I highly doubt that. But you never know, right? It's Big East. It's on the road. UConn struggled last year on the road. And maybe that's your other other like argument against the road woes is UConn didn't have that, you know, UConn was able to win the, win the national championship even though they did not have the greatest Big East season. And I know that's very some kind of flippant almost. Uh, but you, ju- you just wonder like, all right, you just got to make sure you're playing playing well by March. And I'm not saying, I'm not panicking, I'm not worried, but you got to figure out kind of how to be the hunted. And I worried about that all year. I was kind of told, no, 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 we want this, we want this smoke, but do you? I, I, don't, I don't exactly see it at this point. Let's run through grades. Uh, we do this after most Marquette games. We missed the St. Thomas game, just that was a scheduling thing. Uh, so I apologize for that, but again, the St. Thomas game was not exactly uh, one worth talking about in greater detail. Uh, I will give a A to Tyler Kolick. I Look, I, I know Tyler Kolick was like 7 for 15 from the field, so it wasn't exactly the best game from a Tyler Kolick perspective in terms of shooting, but I mean, 7 for 15 is still 50%. Uh, 15 shots is a lot for Kolick, but no one else is really shooting the ball, so Tyler Kolick Kind of had to be the man. Uh, 21 points, nine re- nine rebounds, five assists. I mean, really good, strong stat line for Tyler Kolick. But it's kind of Tyler Kolick and everybody else. If you are a Bucks fan, who's also a Marquette fan, it felt like one of those old Giannis games, right? Where it's like, okay, fuck it. We'll just have Giannis do it. And then you realize that Giannis can only do so much. Now, Giannis is a better player than Tyler Kolick, of course. But that's that was kind of how it felt. That Tyler Kolick was the only one 
that was sort of not necessarily engaged, but just that was scoring and getting to the bucket and doing doing the things that you needed. Uh, and he played really well. And you know, I, I don't want to discount that. I feel bad for Kolick that he's went into Providence three times as a kid from Rhode Island and lost all three times. Uh, Providence fans do not like him. Uh, I think that's just Providence sort of showing their jealousy slash showing their ass uh, because I, I think it comes down to. They didn't, they didn't care. Ed Cooley, that's on Ed Cooley, man. Like, you should be mad at Ed Cooley, not mad at Tyler Kolick. Like, Tyler Kolick, I bet, would have probably played at Providence. But that was your coach's decision that he didn't want Tyler Kolick. And that's on him. So, you know, uh, and, and I'm sure Tyler Kolick will let him know on Friday uh, when he plays Georgetown. Uh, other A to C.J. Moore's piece on Osoy Gadara. Uh, if you did not read it, uh, C.J. Moore from The Athletic, uh, college basketball writer, uh, wrote a great piece on Osoe Gadara. Um, and it was really fascinating to read, uh, understand how Oso sort of came to where he is now. Uh, the fact that Chuck Smart reached out to Dave Edelman, uh, the assistant for the Denver Nuggets, who got mentioned in some NBA, like, you know, coaching coaching carousel stuff last off season. Uh, and basically it was like, how, how did you guys build Nikola Jokic? And Edelman gave him a bunch of stuff and basically, they, they've said that Oso is a Nikola Jokic of, the, of college basketball. I don't know if I'd go that far. Uh, he, he is an awesome player. I think he's going to be a great NBA pro. Uh, I wish that he wouldn't disappear as often as he does, which we'll talk about here in the grades. Um, but I, I really enjoyed the piece from CJ. And if you haven't read it or you don't have an athletic subscription, make sure you get somebody to give you it uh, and check it out because it is awesome. I, I also posted it on my Twitter account or X account earlier, but that's way buried. <laughs> a lot of tweets last night about Marquette. And thank you for all those engaged. We had a ton of engagement. Uh, B to Trey Norman. I actually really like the Trey Norman minutes. Uh, I think there might be something there. I think definitely they need to explore how do you work Trey Norman into the rotation? And is that a guy that can be counted on? I mean, you only played 12 minutes. But he had an offensive rating of 126, the highest offensive rating that anybody had. He had three total points in the game. He also had three rebounds. He did foul five times, kind of an Andre Jackson Jr. of college basketball, where he's just a little too excited. That's okay. I'm okay with that, right? I, I just want to see a little more Trey Norman. I, I think that right now Marquette's searching for answers a little bit offensively beyond Kolick and Cam Jones, which is another problem that they have besides the road woes. And I, I wonder, you know, can that be Trey Norman? I don't know. Um, it definitely a, a good game against Georgetown to kind of experiment that. Um, I wouldn't say Creighton is, but yeah, put him out there for 15 minutes. Put him out there for 20 minutes. See what happens. And yeah, if he can't keep his hands off anybody and he's fouling, then yeah, okay. We still got some work to do. But I, I liked what I saw from Trey Norman. Cedo uh, Osoigidara, I kind of mentioned it, but, you know, in the article uh, that Moore, which I just talked about, he, he, they explained the Wisconsin game. They say how, like, Oso didn't get the ball enough. And him and Kolek talked about it. And they're roommates, right? And we just, we didn't have enough Oso. Um, and maybe that's the way uh, Providence was playing. But they need to make sure that Oso Iguodara shoots the ball more. Marquette is a better team when Oso Iguodara is shooting more than six times in a game, right? Like, that's just... To me, like seven of eight from the free throw line, like he's become, his free throws have become really good. Uh, in the last three games, he's made what here? Let's see here. 14, 22. He's made 22 th uh, free throws and he's shot 16, 
Uh, 20, he, so he's 22 or 27 from the free throw line the last three games. I mean, that's, that's incredible. But in the games against St. Thomas, where he was really good, he had 21 points, he had 10 shots. And then uh, against Notre Dame, he had seven. Uh, so six is a almost season low. Wisconsin, he had three or five. Southern, he had three. So Southern's a low. But when he really shined in those games against Kansas and even Purdue and UCLA, for that matter, uh, you know, he had seven in UCLA, but he had 15 shots in against Kansas and 10 against Purdue. Like, we need also around 10. I think that's sort of the key. And if we can get also 10 shot attempts, I think Marquette's a much better basketball team. And I don't know if that's on Kolick and Jones. I don't know if that's on Oso himself, but we just need more from Oso. Um, also see to Cam Jones. Uh, look, I, Cam Jones' stat line is ugly. Uh, it's not pretty. He was 5-14 from the field, 1-6 from three. Uh, he also had five turnovers uh, and 13 points. I will say Cam Jones was kind of the only offense early on in this game. So I, I do want to give him credit for starting fast, but... There's a lot of ugliness in there. Um, you know, I, sometimes it's just not your night. I understand if other guys aren't really aren't really shooting, it's uh, you know it's really hard and it's really hard to to deal with. Um, but it, at some point, you got to figure out a way to be a facilitator. Not having an assist for Cam Jones is a little concerning, right? Uh, and yeah, 13 points is is nice, but it, it, everything else is is gross. So. Cam Jones just needs to be better. Um, that that was a bad Cam Jones day. Uh, hasn't had one, so I guess I can have some again empathy to say like, okay, like this is your first bad game really all year, and hopefully it's just a blip on the radar. Uh, D to Chase Ross. So I'm again empathy chalk. Chase Ross had an awful game. Was 0 for 7 overall, but he got his ankle rolled up on. It looked really bad. He couldn't put any weight on it. Uh, probably one of those situations where you twist your ankle really bad and you just can't walk for a little bit, um, which we've all been there. Mostly for me, it's not basketball. It's I, I uh, wrong sidewalk and I just rolled it. Uh, so I understand, I guess, a little bit of Chase Ross's plight. But that said, uh, I it was a bad day. Uh, 0 for 7 overall. And so he gets a D only because of the injury. So I, I will give him a little bit of grace uh, there. And But yeah, rough, rough day. Uh, Chase Ross just needs to be better. He's put in that role right now, especially with Steve, without Stevie Mitchell, uh, and definitely needs to be there. Another D is not having Stevie Mitchell. Uh, it, it was a tough thing to have in the non-con, but it was kind of like, okay, well, no Stevie Mitchell. Now we're in Big East play, you kind of need Stevie Mitchell there. Uh, Stevie Mitchell would have definitely slowed down Devin Carter. Uh, and I, it was just a, not having him is really limits your perimeter defense. And hopefully you get him back for Georgetown. Uh, I wonder if they're going to rest him past Georgetown and then he'll play against Creighton. That I, I think makes actually more sense. So I would imagine you have one more game without Stevie Mitchell. I think not having him for Creighton would be a big deal. Um, and that's one of the big ones. And I, I hope that they have a plan in place. I think that's one of the tough things about college basketball is it's kind of red China. You don't know, you know, how hurt somebody is. So hopefully Stevie Mitchell's back for that Creighton game because uh, that's it's a big loss. He's definitely the glue guy of this team. Uh, F2, three-point shooting on the road. Uh, man, what it, this has been rough. So in three games, I, I did the math here. I didn't do it on the fly either. Uh, three games for Marquette on the road. 16 of 66 from three for a grand total of a 
Yikes. Even in the Illinois game, they won. They were 5 of 17 from three. They were 7 of 29 against Wisconsin. They were 4 of 20 tonight. I, that's, that's a huge problem. You got, I understand you're going to be a little worse on the road in terms of three point shooting, but that has to improve from Marquette going forward. David Joplin is an F2. I, I don't know if the Wisconsin game broke Joplin. And because Joplin, you know, had a really rough game, played 30 plus minutes, uh, it seemed like the coaches took away his minutes a little bit. If now Joplin's hesitant to shoot, but Joplin needs to kind of get out of his head. David Joplin just needs to be David Joplin. I know that sounds redundant, but he needs to be the Jop from last year. And if Jop, if it's better for him to come off the bench, and there are just guys who are like that, right? Manu Ginobili is the, the classic example of this. That he just needs to be a bench guy. Dante DiVincenzo, another guy who really excelled as being a bench player. If that's what Joplin needs and the the pressure of a starter is a little too much and wants to kind of look at the game, feel the game, there is nothing wrong with that. And Marquette can make adjustments kind of as going forward. And yeah, Stevie Mitchell probably needs to be back for that to happen. But I, I wonder if that's that would help David Joplin just reset. I'm not saying it's an entire year thing. I just wonder if he needs like that collective reset and just needs to shoot and just needs to shoot out of it a little bit. Like, all right, I'm not saying like throw away that Georgetown game, but maybe just shoot the living shit out of the ball against Georgetown, like eight or nine attempts and just see what happens and try to get your groove back. Because David Joplin being in a slump affects that three-point number. He only shot the ball two times in terms of beyond three and that adds, can't happen. And I just can't. He's he's too good of a player not to shoot the ball at least five or six times. And it seems like maybe his confidence is a little bit wavering. So that's on Shaka to sort of figure out, you know, how do we get David Joplin back? Uh, also, F2, unforced errors was just ugly as shit. Um, so many moments from Marquette where they just made error after error. And it just was really, really bad on both sides of the ball. Uh, whether it was falling uh, three-point shooters uh, whether it was just, you know, getting yourself into bad turnovers or stagnant, stagnant offense where you just got to shoot up the shot. It was really ugly uh, and just uncharacteristic of what we've seen the last two years out of Marquette. Uh, the assist total, they had seven total assists in this game. That, that's a really low number. That, that's example one of stagnant offense uh, and just not going to get it done. Uh, you won't win a lot of games, road or home, with seven assists total as a team. Lastly, the Big East officials. I saved the best, the worst for last. Uh, not the best for last, uh, the worst for last. But I, I wanted to talk about everything else and say all the reasons they lost besides the officials. But the officials were a goddamn joke. They were some of the worst that I've seen in a long time. James Breeding is continually a bad official. James Breeding has been a Big East official for a very long time. And James Breeding has not got better as a Big East official. He wants to be the star of the show, calls a flagrant on Oso Iguodara as Marquette's kind of inching back. And the flagrant was not when the play happened. So what's weird is he let it play out, which is like a soccer thing. And I don't think, I've not seen the rule that this has changed in college basketball where we play on and we let the play happen. And then in that play, uh, Josh O'Dara was fouled. So all of a sudden, Providence gets, not only they get four shots, four shots at the free throw line, like a double technical, and they get the ball back. 
which is not a rule in college basketball. And yet the Big East violates the rule. Now again, would it affect Marquette winning this basketball game? Probably not. Marquette probably doesn't win this game, but they were putting some pressure on Providence and Providence was having a little bit of trouble closing it out. But they guaranteed basically that Providence was going to win that game with four free throws and the ball being back. It's an absolute calamity that we allow these guys to continue to be officials in the Big East. And it is a real problem. Now, I realize no one wants to be a ref. I get it. Refereeing in general has come under great scrutiny in all sports. And part of it is because we all have social media. We all have highlights. And I I credit Fox College Hoops, uh, the Twitter account, for posting the video. Uh, And which I posted and have got great engagement, whatever. But I, I really appreciate the fact that they were they at least posted it. But I, what I don't appreciate is the fact that Providence was allowed to play bully ball and were allowed to be Miami Heat, Toronto Raptors-ass defense where we just beat the living fuck out of you for basically the entire game. And we hope you don't call as much, right? We hope that you call a loose game and we'll just beat you up. And that's what the Heat do against the Bucs. That's what the Raptors do against the Bucs. And it works. Like, it's a successful strategy if you don't have an official calling it tight. And they did not call it tight. And they they bullied Marquette. They did what they wanted to do with Marquette. And the officials did not call it. And yet Marquette would do it. And they'd be like, whoa, 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 wait. So I think the problem that I have with the Big East is I understand there's bad officials. But what I can't really stand is the inconsistency and i also don't think to finish up and so because i i got bucks to still talk about is the fact that marquette doesn't really get the same love at home okay if it was just established that hey it's the big east and you're gonna get calls at home like rob doster said that last year and i like rob he said that last year uh when marquette gave up 48 or not gave up but it had 48 free throws against them in providence and he was like, well, that's just the Big East. You know, when you're home at the Big East, like that's what you get. And Marquette really never had a moment like that all of last year. We're like, wow, it was really one-sided official-wise. So I just want more consistency. And I don't know what that gym does. I know the joke is the Providence mob, but like, I don't know what it does to people. But man, it's definitely a weird shit place. Um, and like we talk about with Pittsburgh, right? In baseball, where like weird, weird shit happens at PNC Park. Weird shit happens at the Amp, formerly the Dunk. Uh, but yeah, let's uh, burn the tape here and move on to Georgetown. And hopefully that is a lot better. I said I was going to do uh, 35 minutes to myself and I'm at 35 minutes. So <laughs> here we go. Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks uh, had a nice win against the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, 132 to 119. That is now five straight wins for your Milwaukee Bucks post uh, Bobby Portis laying into everybody in the locker room. Uh, it also is the Milwaukee Bucks 14th straight uh, road win or home win. They've been great at home. The Bucks are now a half game back of the top seed in the Eastern Conference after the Boston Celtics lost to the Golden State Warriors in an absolute classic uh, last night. Uh, where they blew a 17-point lead. You hate to see that. And the Bucs are rolling. Bucks are feeling good. Uh, there is a lot of talk about schedule and what the Bucs have played. And I want to get into that with Mitch tomorrow. So that this is like an appetizer for what Mitch and I are going to talk about. I have a pretty fun topic in that regard. Uh, but 
the Bucks they were able to again take care of business uh, against the San Antonio Spurs, against another bad team, and didn't play with their food at all. And you know that's one of the things that I had for the five things to know. And but I think it's good to bring up to the front because the Bucks for the beginning part of the year would let these teams hang around, hang around, and all of a sudden they're in a clutch situation. They haven't been in a clutch situation against any of these teams for the last five, four games including Indiana, who is a little bit better than, you know, what we've seen out of Detroit, obviously, and the Spurs. Like, you played two of the worst teams, and you played two of the up-and-coming teams in Indiana and Houston, and you beat their ass in all, all five. All five have been ass kick- or all four, excuse me, have been ass-kickings. And now you get Orlando, another up-and-coming team, a team that beat you up earlier this season without Dame Lillard, mind you. But that's another chance to sweep this homestand Get good vibes heading on to the road where you play a couple in New York and then against Brooklyn, where you're just basically Christmas in New York. The Bucks are home alone too. Like we need we need some photoshops of Kevin McAllister, but it be in the honest and Dame. Like I, I we we just need them. So if you guys are good with Photoshop, let's let's get those cooking. But anyways, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks, you know, just took care of business, man. And I, I think that that is really impressive uh, that they just did not really let the Spurs back into this game. Like, I think they got down to eight in the third quarter and the Bucs were like, nope, we're going to put it back up. Like, okay, you got close. Nope. And like a yo-yo almost. And so credit to the Bucs. I, I really felt like this was an impressive win for them. Um, and in terms of just, again, just staying focused and I think that's really important. And I, I think that we're now starting to kind of see the true version of the Milwaukee Bucks. And I, I mean, not to say I told you so, but I, I did tell you so. I thought it would come a little earlier, but I knew that this Bucks team was here and they've arrived. Uh, other things to know, we were denied the Giannis Wemby matchup, that sucked. Uh, Victor Wembanyama did not want the smoke. Uh, I'd be really pissed if I got tickets for this. I, I talked about getting tickets for this, I didn't. Uh, so now fans are, Bucks fans are gonna have to wait a full year before you get Giannis and Wembanyama. Um, it, that sticks. Uh, and I don't know if that was because Wemby didn't want the smoke against Giannis. Apparently, has an ankle injury. Uh, I think it's really just Giannis was going to take him to church. He knew his comments. I don't think Giannis will forget it. Giannis pulverizes rookies. Um, and it's too bad we didn't get that matchup. It would have been a lot of fun to watch Wembenyama and Giannis go up against each other. Maybe we'll get in the Olympics. Um, I, I Hopefully, I don't know if Greece qualified for the Olympics, though. So I don't know if we'll even get that. But uh, that's too bad. Uh, would definitely love to see that. Uh, Damian Lillard went off 40 points, 19 in the first quarter. Now is 20,000 points, another accomplishment, hopefully another game ball. Uh, it was, Dame's been great. Uh, the last three games, he's had 30 plus. Uh, he's really sort of found his stroke. He's getting very comfortable with playing, you know, with the Bucs. He was 5'8 from three. He just, he looked great in this game and he's looked great the last three games. That is a huge development, you know, for the Milwaukee Bucks. And, the Spurs really played Giannis hard. They really wanted to deny Giannis from doing his thing, and Giannis just started passing. And Giannis had 16 assists, career high. And if Giannis is doing that at, on bad nights for Giannis, quote-unquote, he was 4-12 from the field, like, look out. Like, that – and guys are making it, and Dame's the one making it. But, like, Beasley had a rough night from three, but Beasley's been pretty good in those spot-up situations. Uh, Pat Conton missed, like, five threes. He did get the one for Giannis' triple-double. Um, I, I, I really kind of like that approach from Giannis Antetokounmpo. Giannis did not try to force himself. Giannis did not try to say, all right, I'm going to still get mine. No, Giannis started passing the basketball. And that is, a, again, a difference from earlier this season. 
Earlier in the year, Giannis was still trying to make his offense happen. Giannis realized, like, hey, no, I don't need to score a bunch of points. I had 64 points earlier this week. I don't need to have a big game in this one. And he did still have a triple-double, which is hilarious. But 11, 16, and 14. I mean, just more of a Draymond uh, triple-double besides the assist. But, yeah, I mean, great night for Anta Lacumbo. Number three uh, was – or, well, number four is Malik Beasley – Returning to the starting lineup, I have no problem with it. I know a lot of Bucks fans were like, uh, Andre Jackson Jr. needs to be needs to be the guy, like needs to sort of you know be the starter. Like, did people just forget that they've had a really good offensive rating with the five guys? And Beasley gives a shit defensively. Like, did we just lose track of that? Like, I know that we want to think that we're smarter than the coaching staff. But I, I think that Beasley starting makes sense. I, I was always on board with it. I didn't exactly get Jackson as a starter. Jackson played 15 minutes tonight. I think that that is probably what you want. I said, you know, my prediction has been always that I think Jackson's going to play 20 minutes, you know, come February, March. I think that knowing you have Jackson to use if a guy is injured or Chris Middleton needs, you know, the back-to-back rest or anything like that, I think I think that they are in a really good spot with what they have. And yeah, maybe at the end of the year, it's Andre Jackson Jr. starting, but I don't want to rush his development. I think this is a good progression. I wonder if situations like against Boston, for example, maybe Andre Jackson Jr. goes out there just to establish, you know, himself defensively against like a really good wing or like even like the Clippers, right? Against like a Paul George, if you will. I I don't know. We'll we'll certainly have to see. I'll be curious to see if they rotate Jackson into the starting lineup when it makes sense. I wouldn't say it made sense against the Spurs. I don't really think it makes sense against Orlando. Um, I'm trying to think of maybe maybe the Knicks, um, but uh, we'll we have to see. Uh, Brooklyn would certainly be one uh, with Bridges, so who knows? We'll see if we we get Jackson at all in the starting lineup. And then lastly, Bobby Portis hot streak continues after his locker room rant. So really, after Bobby Portis went off uh, in the locker room, uh, he's been incredible. He's been really really good uh by portis now since that time i'm trying to pull it up he had 23 in the game tonight against the spurs and he, he takes advantage against bad teams i'm not gonna diss him for that you need that bobby had 23 points in this game with 10 rebounds a, a double double uh he had 11 in the game against houston with six rebounds 31 against detroit with 12 boards and 19 against indiana 17 against chicago so in those last five games bobby has been absolutely terrific Certainly has seen your tweets about uh, wanting to get rid of him. I don't think Bobby's going anywhere. So uh, good night for Bobby. All right, that does it for our show. I apologize. It was a little truncated. Not too bad. 42 minutes. We still got it in there. Uh, we will talk to you tomorrow with Mitch. Uh, Tapping the keg, 533, I believe. So we'll talk to you then. We'll see you. Have a good one. Bye.